Welcome to Mere Utterance, the podcast where we explore small stories and the big impact they have on our lives. In a bit of a twist, our guest this week was originally in town to interview Tara. In a serendipitous flip of the script, we decided to interview the interviewer. Our guest this week is Amy Martin, who is the founder and executive producer of The Threshold Podcast. Amy is a journalist and story seeker who travels the world listening to people and weaving stories together on her podcast. Amy has an ability to observe and listen to the most complex or simple of things, unveiling all the layers of intricate beauty within. The wisdom she shares is something that will stay with us for a long time. How would you introduce yourself at this point in time? Oh gosh, Um, that's so funny. I'm so used to being on the other end of the questions. How would I, I think I would just say, I'm Amy, and and I like to listen to people. <laughs> oh, I love that's such a beautiful answer, though. <laughs> I really, I deeply resonate. With <laughs> um, so, where does that? You said that you love to listen to people. How does that manifest at the moment? And where did that love come from? Yeah. Um, so, I make a podcast as well called Threshold, and. Um, it's really, I probably should broaden my answer that I don't only love to listen to people. I love to listen to places. I love to listen to creatures. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I spent some time listening to plants in the Royal Botanical Gardens. Mm -hmm. Um, wind through the bamboo, boo was my favorite sound. Um, and, uh, so I, I mean, I think it, my love of listening is manifested through my profession and through my chosen path. But hopefully not just that. Um, I hope that I'm also doing a lot of listening in my personal relationships. Mm. Um, I certainly do a lot of talking as well. I have plenty <laughs> of words. I'm not trying to paint myself as some kind of like, you know, um, wonderful only on the on the receiving end kind of person. I, I definitely, I mean, I like to talk. I like to think. I like to write. I like to make music. I like to, to generate sounds and words. Um, but... Um, I think there's hardly anything that is more fascinating and sort of mind expanding than to get to do what I do for a living of just like sit down and and ask people questions and learn about their lives and their jobs and what matters to them, what is troubling to them and turn it into these larger stories. Mm. There's so many things to touch on in that. Can you talk a little bit more about you said that you um, you host a podcast, Threshold, which is why we're meeting here today. <laughs> anyway, serendipitously, um, can you talk a little bit more about how that how that came about? Yeah, I I think the short answer was is that uh, I was doing some audio journalism for National Public Radio for Montana Public Radio um, in the United States and and some other outlets too, I guess, and I. I love radio news. I've always loved radio news. Even when I was a kid, I, I got a lot of news through the radio. Um, I love. It's kind of connects up with the listening side, and in, in the I feel like when I hear the news versus reading it um, or watching it, it sticks much better in my mind. I feel like I'm taken to places and like absorb a story in a different way. But as much as I loved making radio news stories, I also felt like I wasn't able to do nearly as much or as deep or as wide uh, of kind of reporting and learning and documenting as I wanted to do. So I started Threshold. Uh, the personal reason for it was that I just, I wanted, um, 
I wanted to be able to have two hour conversations with scientists that go a million different directions and then put that together with 20 other conversations I had and, and kind of like weave something that's really more like movie making uh, in scope and scale or almost like maybe more like writing a novel than, than writing, you know, a, a, a newspaper article. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like you're listening to common threads and then weaving together a story out of that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. That skill of listening or that affinity for listening, is that something that you've always had or is that something that has grown or something that you've crafted? What's, what is, what's that like? <laughs> I, I think that I have always had an affinity. I hopefully will always be building skills. <laughs> um, I, I grew up on a farm. I grew up in a pretty quiet place mm. and... I do feel like I had sonic experiences that I that that were important to me, which um, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Sounds> awesome. <laughs> it's just sort of a fancy. I guess it's sort of like fancy language for just saying I was lucky enough to be in a place that was quiet enough that I heard lots of different things. You know, mm-hmm. like I remember um, I wrote a poem. I'm sure it was an absolutely terrible poem. Um, it was called listen to the snowfall because I remember being outside and hearing the snow hitting the ground and I was young enough that even though I'd heard it many many times by that point I I probably hadn't really noticed it and I was kind of momentarily just amazed I was like I'm listening to snow like this thing that you think about that has a very particular way of that it feels and that it looks but I was like it has a sound that's amazing so I wrote this poem about it and I remember I remember being outside on our farm hearing it and really hearing it for the first time and just being really moved you know we had sheep and I remember listening to their voices a lot I can remember like the sound of our back door just the screen door coming in and out I can remember standing at the end of our lane waiting for the bus and um and uh, our neighbor's cows were on the other side of the fence and I, uh, um, watching them mooing back and forth to each other and kind of learning how to moo so I could get them to move back to me. Um, and I mean, all of this is just ordinary kid stuff. But I think, unfortunately, we're often in, in environments as kids now um, and just as people now where all we can hear are our own machines and fans and motors and chaos and... Um, and even music, which I love listening to and making music has been a big part of my life too. But I feel like often now music is almost used as sort of like a, a sonic weapon. Like just mm-hmm. everywhere you go, it's so often just like, you know, assaulting you almost or, or um, pushing us, um, trying to either pull us into something, you know, to buy something or go or push us like, I mean, I was just reading about how restaurants, some restaurants and bars actually keep the music at an uncomfortably high volume because they know people will then come and go quickly so they can turn tables more quickly. Wow. Like if you make it quiet enough and people relax enough, they hang out longer and then you don't like get to milk as much money oh out of those seats. Um, that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, and so I think it's, um, I just feel really lucky that I grew up in a situation where it was quiet enough that I could even hear these little things that kind of just... I certainly wasn't at the time thinking like, I want to go record sound for a living, but I just noticed it. It mattered to me. And Mm. and I think because I have some affinity for music and I also really want to give my mom credit 
my mom is a really great conversationalist and a great listener. Mm -hmm. And I think I listened to her listening a lot. Like she listened to me. And I also just, you know, was around her talking with friends and doing the kind of open-ended inquiry that made space for other people to talk. So I don't know. I think it all kind of comes together. Yeah, and that's really beautiful too. And I love what you were saying about listening to your mum listening. And I think that when we have those things modelled for us, it sort of puts different pieces of the puzzle that are intrinsic to us into place and I mean I can definitely resonate with some of that as well in my own childhood Mm. we grew up having dinner table like lengthy dinner table conversations every single night and having guests over all the time and us kids would watch our parents having those conversations and sort of trying to learn you know how to listen properly as opposed to how to wait until it's your turn to, to speak. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so that sort of formed in your childhood. But then how do you take that love or that natural affinity and then decide that you are going to pursue that? Because it, I suppose the job that you can put on that mm-hmm. isn't necessarily straightforward, right? Surely there's a path to discovering how this is going to manifest and take form in a way that's authentic right yeah I mean I I had a very circuitous route to where I am now and I think if I'm lucky the route will continue to be um circuitous and 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 wandering because I think that that I think life is change and so I never want to get into like a particular you know, rut and stay there. Mm. That being said, I hope, I also hope not to be making threshold for the rest of my life, but the <laughs> magic of a threshold is that it's big enough that it can be lots of different things. Um, but yeah, I had a career as a musician for a while. And I think, I guess maybe the best way to answer your question is, I think if you're, I guess the older I get, the more I think that, that listening and sort of attuning oneself to another person, to a place, to, to whatever's going on, is actually something that is quite flexible and can be applied in a million different jobs, mm. you know? It's just we have this kind of weird thing in Western culture of really focusing on the output. Like, we teach kids to get up and give speeches. Mm. We have contests for, like, how well can you talk? how well can you sing how well can you perform and we we pay almost no conscious attention to teaching kids to be like how how well can you listen like you know has there has ever been like a listening competition I'm not saying I want to turn it into a competitive sport so like, <laughs> but um but I do think that although my job um you can sort of see this direct line even with music even though music is like making sound you're also you have to do a ton of listening to do it well um so it's sort of more obvious i i think like if you're a teacher if you're a business person god help us politician like um (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah if 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 listening listening could sort of be at the center or a huge part of 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 almost any job you know Mm -hmm. and so so i think that there it probably could have gone lots of different ways and there's just a random mixture of like personal tastes and and opportunities that I either found or made that landed me Mm. here. There you are, Mm. yeah. I love what you were saying about 
children are taught to get up and give a speech and Mm -hmm. do this and do that and there's so much output all the time and Tara and I were having a conversation about this earlier conversation slash meltdown about just we're always doing something Mm. and there's no time or we labor under the assumption that there's no time Mm. to actually sit down and listen to other people or to even ourselves um and I don't know if, if listening is intuitive to a lot of people but how how do you do that how do you cultivate authentic listening yeah I mean I guess in a way that is partly why I have made it my job because I find it really enjoyable and so Mm -hmm. it's like how can I spend as much of my time as possible doing that just selfishly um (laughs) (laughs) I like that yeah I I I don't know I hear you I mean I feel it too the Mm -hmm. crush of um demand and I, I feel, I mean, I know we, everybody always blames everything on social media right now, <laughs> but I do really feel like there, there's a, a pretty insidious, um, pressure, um, through social media and through the internet in general, which I mean, brings us so many good things. But one of the bad things is that I feel like we're all, um, being asked to kind of be performative about our lives mm-hmm. all the time the most the most like private sort of you know unpretentious person if they have an instagram account at some level is feeling some pressure to construct a self and an identity and to showcase it and to and to be like broadcasting you know and i'm, I'm making these like outward pushing motions with my hand because it's so much about um, you know, you got to put it out there. I mean, we all say they got to put yourself out there. I, this is a roundabout way of saying for me, one thing that I'm increasingly trying to do is just at least notice how much time I'm spending online and notice how I feel after spending time on social media. And it's not usually very good. And I think it's connected to to this whole thing about the receptivity versus the projection of self. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to be constructing and 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 performing a self, even if you're just performing it for your thirty friends on you know on some not followed account. There's still a way that you're like, look at me, look at me, or I feel like I better be doing something that makes you look at me even if I don't really want to or don't feel like I'm good at it. And um, I don't know about you, but like times when I'm forced to not have a device in my hand, like I do some backpacking and stuff, and, um, you know, I can feel kind of twitchy at first Mm. because it's like such an addiction, even even though I'm not nearly as heavy a user as a lot of people. but then after that first little bit of like disconnection to sink into something where there is time to be more receptive and quieter and to and to like sleep when you're tired and um, and just be in conversation with the people you're with. I mean, it's it's so, so helpful and, and lovely. And I but I don't know how to integrate that into our modern life, honestly, because it only takes a couple of days yeah. and then it's right back in it. It's almost like there's a design in modern life that pushes that away. Almost by design, we don't have space to do that because we're you know straight back on the hamster wheel of doing things and producing and 
you know, making something of ourselves and, you know, it's so insidious and, and I've said this a bazillion times before, but I think it's really numbing as well. You know, if I'm experiencing a negative emotion or if I want to relax, I go straight to, you know, social media and there's less and less time that I'm finding myself in a space where I can just sit and drop into an emotion or an experience and really learn from it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like I'm consuming content all the time, but never really actually learning much from anything that I'm absorbing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I 100% agree. It's a funny dilemma because I don't know the way around that, like you said before. I mm-hmm. suppose like awareness is a good way to start mitigating. Um, something else, it actually reminds me of something else that you were talking about earlier on and how you were listening to the sounds of the bamboo mm-hmm. and that you listen to not just people but you listen to places and you know the land and country and you know nature and as somebody who's creative myself I feel like when I'm sitting down and listening to the river it's speaking to me in a different way than the ocean would inhale Mm. and exhale and I think I learn something different from one place as opposed to another I guess this is probably a roundabout way of saying what do you learn from the different things that you're listening to yeah yeah I think one thing is um patience is um I think it helps teach me patience I'm not by nature a very patient person (laughs) (laughs) another thing I learned from my mom and and my dad actually um but there's a way especially when I'm when I'm listening and recording, um, sometimes I record just because it helps push me into more of a listening place, even if it's not a thing I'm going to use for the show. Also, I just love to record all kinds of different sounds because I never know what I'm going to need for the show. So I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I recorded that weird little thing four years ago. I know I have it somewhere. Um, so I guess the I, I notice when I put on my headphones and, and point my microphone at whatever it is I'm, I'm trying to listen to, I can I start to have a different relationship with time because I'm like and I don't mean like in a mystical way I just mean that like like yesterday I was kind of hurrying through the botanical gardens to get somewhere else and then I realized I have I have a little more time than I thought I want to I just want to like slow down and notice a little bit and then I it was really windy yesterday and so the wind was blowing really hard through those bamboo groves that are kind of close to the edge there and it was the coolest sound, you know? It was just such a cool musical kind of sound. And just by like slowing myself down a bit and realizing like you don't have to be like rush, 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 rush. And and then sitting there and you know, people are walking by and I saw people looking at me like, Who is this lady pointing a <laughs> microphone at giant grasses? Um <laughs> And I was like, I don't care. Like these, this is an interesting sound. And so I can't say that what or if I learned specifically from that other than um, I noticed the bamboo much more. Mm. I spent more time looking because I was listening. Obviously I knew it was a kind of grass, but I was really looking at how the little, the segments of the the bamboo, and it kind of was actually making me think of childhood again because I remember looking at our grasses on our farm and it looked exactly the same. Corn is also a grass. Mm. And I was like also thinking about our corn stalks and it's all like, oh, it's so cool that they all have this like segmented kind of thing going on. And um, 
and thinking about how people make musical instruments out of the bamboo and like how how could you not when you're sitting there listening to the wind blow through it it's just obviously like begging to be turned into something you know Mm -hmm. and um so I think for me those moments of listening are just are kind of like portals into connection with whatever whoever I'm you know wherever Mm -hmm. I find myself it's a nice reminder to just like drop my agenda for a moment and be like I'll probably never be in Sydney again I might never be in Sydney again when it's both really windy and because it's windy and a little bit chilly there's not very many people out like, this is such a magical little moment I get to have with this bamboo like just do that you know mm, so yeah. maybe it teaches me presence I guess I actually love what you're saying about listening as well though because I've never thought of it in that way in that there's sort of voices hidden everywhere and if you can find the common voice that all kind of seeing the same kind of song and you're kind of finding all of these little instruments that are all playing the same melody and then you're putting them all together mm. and it's really beautiful I've never heard it put quite in that way <laughs> well, I think the way you just put it was more beautiful actually <laughs> I, think, I think I think very um in a narrative way so mm. it's nice to put it together like that but yeah it's really fascinating and very inspiring I suppose another one of the questions that I like to ask a lot is is there anything that you're currently learning about or is there anything that you're currently listening to that's really inspiring curiosity or interest? Well, since we're here in Australia and I hadn't been here before, um, I am learning so much, so much. But one of the things that has really caught my attention here and actually what I was doing um, before meeting you today is... um, learning about um, the history of um, how Aboriginal people were treated during the colonization process. Mm. And that, of course, has led me to, to, to be learning just about Aboriginal cultures in general, like not just that, that relatively recent trauma. But, um, yeah, it's really intense, really intense. I mean, the United States has our own horrific set of stories of how indigenous people were treated and are in many places and cases still treated badly. Honestly, I, I did not know how bad it was in Australia. And, um, part of learning about that obviously is just so depressing and, and angering and sad. You know, I was talking to a a guy in Perth who, um, you know, his own parents, remember the time when they couldn't come into Perth without a pass they had to have a pass and after a certain um, time in the evening they had to be out of the city or they could be arrested I mean it's like apartheid South Africa it's insane Um, and it's so recent but it doesn't stop there with the despair and the anger the learning because that is not where Aboriginal people are stopping at least not the people that I've been lucky enough to meet on this journey there's just person after person who's talking about resilience and overcoming and um, carving out new futures and uh, reclaiming power and um, reclaiming their stories and I just feel so grateful that um, that some people have been willing to, to share some of their stories with me on that front and provide me that window into learning not just about the past but the present, the real world things that are happening right now, and also like different visions for the future. I'm super interested in the voice to parliament referendum and 
I feel really inspired, honestly, by by the way that people seem to be, both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal Australians seem to be trying to grapple with these issues in many cases head on. Um, it seems like there's a lot for the rest of the world to learn about mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting. It's I think it's something interesting for Australians as well. I mean, I can't talk for the rest of us, you know, Australia and um, Australian society, but it's something that. I definitely grew up learning about in school, Um, but I think that actually having reconciliation done and unfolding is only really starting, Mm. you know, recently. And it's alarming that it's taken Australia that long to actually start to do something. Um, The fact that we have to have a referendum at all because it's taken us this long to acknowledge Indigenous voices is insane. And, you know, only now we're starting to acknowledge the country that we're on as well. So, I mean, we're filming now from Gadigal Wanagal land, from the Eora Nation, which is not common knowledge for most people. And only now we're just starting to call country, you know, what what it's actually named. Mm. and it's a slow, long process. And I think we have a lot to learn from places like New Zealand, which have done a much better job of um, incorporating Indigenous history into their their society mm. where they're at now. So there's a lot of learning to do, I think, from all of us. So <laughs> it's nice that somebody who's from overseas can come and is already learning about that um, straight off the bat because we've got definitely a long way to go as an Australian society, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think everywhere where colonization has had um, such a big effect, there's so much learning and 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 reconciliation and reparations that need to be made. Yeah, it's 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 been fascinating seeing how it's playing out here, and and I yeah, I'm like I'm like at pre kindergarten level of, of <laughs> learning, um, but even just that much has really really wet, wet my appetite and especially the way that it is so connected to to country and to specific places um even just this use of the word country it's different um mm. you know we don't use country the way uh, people in australia use that word and that's just been fun just to kind of wrap my head around a word that we also have and means like slight like that overlaps a little bit but it's it's much bigger richer mm. concept here and um I'm already wanting to come back. <laughs> We'd love to have you back. <laughs> We'd love well, to come you. back, hear more stories. Um, I'll, I'll wrap up, I think, just with if you have like a piece of advice for young people or anybody who's trying to listen a little bit more, mm. what would that advice be? Mm. I think you kind of touched on it earlier when you were talking about how it can be hard even to listen to yourself. Mm. I think that one of the biggest barriers to really taking in another person, let alone listening to a place or some bamboo or (laughs) a bird, is the internal noise. And so I guess my advice would be just to go easy on yourself if you try to listen, and as you're trying to listen, when you notice how much internal chatter and noise and often like harsh self-criticism and anxious spinning um, gets in the way would just be to the to a person who is feeling that just to say 
you are not alone. That is like the human condition. That's what the Buddha was talking about thousands of years ago. It's, um, it's really, really human to make a lot of noise in our heads. And a lot of it's extremely self-centered in one way or another. And, um, and that doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a failure. It doesn't mean that you're flawed. It doesn't mean that you're a freak or you're really, it's not a sign that there's something wrong with you. It's a sign that you're a human with a big active brain and a very complicated emotional and psychological life. And it all just gets really stirred up and it makes a lot of noise in our heads. And I think it really does create sort of a screen between us and other people but I don't think that that screen or that filter can be kind of opened up or, or like melt away with a mindset of like, oh, I'm going to get you. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm bad and I'm wrong for all this internal chatter. I'm going to smash it down so I can open up and listen. Like, no, like you first, I think, have to just be gentle enough to like listen listen to yourself and and to, enough to calm that down so that it doesn't have to be so noisy. Mm-hmm. So I really think especially for younger folks who maybe haven't been encouraged to like really tune into themselves that like there is a phase I think that we have to go through of understanding ourselves a little better mm-hmm. so that that some of the real anxious parts of that n- internal noise can just like start to quiet down a little bit. It'll always be there, I think. It'll always be there. Um, but it just maybe can take up a little less space and so that, and then you can have more space to listen to others. Um, and maybe some of that is like pushing it, like actively pushing it aside and being like, okay, to, for the next hour, I'm going to interview my friend and I'm just going to focus on her, you know. But then just know that like the internal voices are going to come roaring back and that that's okay too. And part of the process, I think, of being able to attune in the long run starts with and continually has to be returning to attuning to yourself and being like, what I need right now is a nap. (laughs) What I need right now is a glass of water. I need a book. I need, you know, um, and not every moment, the moments of attuning externally have to be balanced with attuning internally and I think it goes back and forth that's so beautiful yeah thank you and uh, also thank you so much for taking time to sit here and have this conversation with us today we really appreciate it thanks for asking me it's very rare that I ask someone to be interviewed and they're like how about we interview you too I'm like (laughs) okay (laughs) well thank you for being willing thank you yeah it's really fun doing this interview was quite frankly terrifying I am by no means a professional interviewer, so speaking with someone who does this for a living and is an award-winning professional was incredibly daunting. But this sense of imposter syndrome was an incredible reminder of our mission statement here at Mere Utterance, that everyone has a story, whether that person is well-known or not, whether they've won awards or whether they are creating a quiet and beautiful life on their own. Everyone has something worth saying. This episode, on a personal level, was a reminder to hold the story of everyone sacred, and a reminder that, at our core, we are all just people. We are all united in our humanity and on our walk through life. At Mere Utterance, we want to create a community of storytellers, and so we welcome you to visit our website, check out our blog, leave a comment, or send us a message. We would love to hear your thoughts on this conversation, 
and would love even more to hear some of your story. Thank you again for joining us, and remember, everyone has a story, you just need to ask the right questions. <laughs>